From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The coalition's surprise win at the last federal election is largely attributed to a relentless campaign targeting Labor's key economic policies. Much of that campaign was led by Liberal backbencher Tim Wilson. Now, Wilson has launched a new campaign to radically reshape the $4 trillion superannuation industry. Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on the Liberal vision for our retirement savings and how it would impact all of us. So you're rolling, Rick? We are rolling, yes. Great. Everyone else is happy to go? Okay. Rick, historically, superannuation is this thing that most people really don't think about much until they're getting close to retirement. Our employers, they deposit money in our accounts and we we aren't allowed to touch it until we finish working. But that started to change during the pandemic. What happened exactly? Yeah, that's that's right. And and most people don't actually think about superannuation unless they're really, really forced to. And um, a lot of people don't even know what super fund they're with or where their money goes when it's put into those accounts. So up until recently, unless you were under really, really special circumstances, you couldn't touch the money in your super accounts. But then, as we all know by now, COVID-19 hit, the economy went into a tailspin, and the government made some pretty radical changes, which completely moved the goalposts about how we thought about super. From Monday, Australians who've taken a financial hit due to coronavirus will be able to apply for early access to up to $10,000 of their superannuation. By Friday, almost 900,000 people had registered an interest in gaining early access to their nest egg. So they allowed people who were suffering financial hardship because of the pandemic and because of these, you know, nationwide lockdowns to withdraw up to $20,000 from their super accounts to spend on whatever they needed to get them through these really trying times. And all up, more than 3 million Australians accessed their superannuation early and they withdrew a total of $36 billion. That's billion with a B. Of course, the problem now, which a lot of people knew but also many more are discovering in hindsight, is that the people who used the early access super scheme were disproportionately uh, the most vulnerable workers, people who needed money to survive, who had to raid their own retirement savings to get through the pandemic. But the whole point of super, the the only reason it works is that if I invest $10,000 in my early 20s, that $10,000 becomes worth $100,000 in retirement um, or some factor thereof. And so it gives you a power that you don't have as an ordinary worker, which is time uh, and patience. (laughs) And because it kind of goes into your account from your employer, you don't technically miss the money. Mm. And, Rick, this change to allow people to access their super in this way, was it just about getting people through the pandemic? Well, that was certainly what the coalition said, and I've got no reason to disbelieve them. I mean, they were looking for an easy way to save the the government budget some money. So they essentially privatised, you know, some of the the costs of uh, what would be a government role during an economic crisis. But what it actually did do was it represented something um, new to a lot of people in the Liberal Party or emboldened them to start thinking about super and speaking out loudly about super in ways that they hadn't been able to in years prior, which is that the super is there for people to use and that they could use this kind of template of early access to redefine or redraw what superannuation looks like in this country. And there's one Liberal MP in particular who has this ambitious plan to take what the Morrison government did and basically turbocharge it. 
So that would fundamentally reshape how we think about retirement and probably our whole economy. Okay, so can you tell me about this plan and the the Liberal MP who's driving it? Well, it's been led by Liberal backbencher Tim Wilson. Today I publicly restate my commitment to free speech because some of us never lost the faith. Wilson kind of first came onto the national radar as a spokesperson for the Institute of Public Affairs, which is a kind of a right-wing slash libertarian think tank with murky funding sources that we don't quite know where they come from. It's becoming increasingly clear every day that Labor's hunting down our vulnerable grandparents to fund their election promises. Whatever you might think about his policies and his convictions as a person, he's like a little terrier and he's never been afraid to put them out there in the public square. And in fact, he's, he's gotten quite good at it. So he's been honing these skills over quite a while now. But in particular, you might remember him from the last election, the 2019 federal election, when he orchestrated this nationwide campaign against Bill Shorten's proposed franking credit reforms. Abolition of refundable franking credits is fundamentally regressive. And that campaign is now widely seen as being central to tipping the polls in the coalition's favour. You know, Scott Morrison wasn't expected to win that election by most people, and he did, and the franking credit scare campaign was a huge part of that success. And now Tim Wilson is back, and he wants to fundamentally change how superannuation works in this country. Mm, So he's got form as a pretty effective political operator. What is it exactly that he's proposing this time? Hello. Hello, Tim Wilson. How are you? I'm well recorded now. I think there's a chance I'm going to have a division. So oh, of course that you will are. Occur, I will, of course, have to temporarily no. <laughs> suspend and make a return phone call. Look, you're busier than How I am. How are you, Rick? How is post Australia? I actually had a big chat with Tim Wilson about exactly what he wants to do and how he proposes to do it, and I found it, you know, somewhat illuminating. Super has a a place. Mm. It has a place in providing retirement security, um, but it's at the moment it's, uh, you know, it's super at the expense of um, critical other life priorities, and I simply don't understand that logic. And just, you... So super is currently 9.5% of people's wages, and it's something that your employer pays for you, so you don't actually see the money. It just goes into these accounts. And under quite historic legislation now, it, that has been uh, set to rise to 10% from July 1 this year, all the way up to 12% by 2025. But there is certainly a lot of movement in the coalition and thinking that this would be a job killer and a wages killer, and, and they want it scrapped. You know, if you have an increase in the super guarantee, um, no matter which direction the wage go, it still has the same fundamental effect because it's based on a percentage basis. But ultimately, it's a cost that's carried by employers mm. and it's passed through um, at the expense of wages. I mean, Keating... So that's one plank of Tim Wilson's plan, which is keeping super at 9.5%. But actually what he really wants is to go well beyond that. So he also wants people to be allowed to access their super way before they retire and use it as a first home deposit. But the principle is right, which is we need to get home ownership first or home first and super second. It makes no sense. He wants you to be able to access all of it if need be. And essentially what he's doing is trying to replace the safety net of super with the safety net of home ownership, or at least reprioritise. Super should fit into the slipstream of people's lives where um, it doesn't come at the expense of home ownership or the, uh, uh, so that people can save for a home and then save for their retirement. And so... Um, what he is saying is that 
Home ownership is the biggest indicator of poverty in retirement. It creates stability beyond, you know, economic returns and that we should do that first as a priority and then we can focus on our retirement savings and, and the super system can kind of work for us after we've got these other priorities while we're alive and working when we need the help. It's actually quite an alluring concept, particularly for a young person in theory, but there are a lot of problems with this idea. It's very simplistic and it would actually according to some economic experts I spoke to, it would actually leave a lot of people worse off without actually doing much to increase home ownership. We'll be back after this. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rick. What would the consequences of Tim Wilson's proposed reforms to allow people to use their super funds to buy a house actually be? You said it could create a a number of problems. Yes, there are problems. You know, I was talking to Brendan Coates from the Grattan Institute and he said it's undeniable that the super system we currently have has made it harder for some people to buy a house. I think it's undeniable that compulsory super makes it harder for some people to purchase a house when they would like. Yeah. Because you are taking, you know, 10% of their income and putting it away. There is international evidence and the Grattan Institute's own modelling super comes from wages. Not all of it, but most of it. And that's fine because you need to have a good retirement, right? Now, Tim Wilson obviously wants people to be able to buy a house and take out some of these funds and that would fundamentally change how much people have left over when they get to retire. The problem with that is, you know, if you let me access my super to buy a house, I would be so happy as long as you didn't let anyone else do it. The more people you allow to access super to buy a house, then the more you're adding to the demand for housing. And the more you... Because if you let everyone else do it, then the money gets flooded into the market, demand goes up, supply is still constrained, and then you've got price rises. That's literally how it works. So... At the same time as you, you help some people access a home that wouldn't have otherwise got a home, you would also be pushing up prices which benefit sellers yeah. of those homes, which are tend, on, tend to be boomers, yes. um, at the expense of, of younger Australians. And so... You know, if we are left in this position where Tim's plan ever becomes some kind of reality, then it's much tougher to work out whether you're actually being better off in the long run because you'll be paying more for your house when you do manage to buy it. But there are other issues as well because, you know, we saw during the pandemic that poor people and women um, were the most likely to raid their super because rich people have enough money for a deposit and super. And the current system, the way the tax breaks are uh, set up, and because it's contributory, as Brendan Coates says, you get out of it what you put in. So if you don't earn much, you're not going to have a lot. No. Um, so, of course, if you're wealthier, super's going to be better for you. But what Tim Wilson says he's worried about is poverty in retirement. 
And, and it's true. So the facts are, if you don't own a house when you retire, you are far more likely to live in poverty. Like, the rates are obscene. The easiest way to fix that, from a policy point of view, is to double the rate of the Commonwealth rental assistance, um, which would cost about $5 billion a year. But that's government money. And Tim Wilson's idea and you know, this kind of Liberal Party ideology more generally is that they want less government and they want people to use their own money to do things that might traditionally have been the reserve of government, which is to help people. Mm. And Rick, Tim Wilson, he's framing this whole thing as though it is a choice between superannuation, a, a well-funded retirement, or home ownership. But is that the right way to think about this? Are the two really in contention? Does it have to be one or the other? Look, I mean, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it needs to be both, and it has to be both. It does create stability. As someone who grew up with a single parent who rented, you know, moving house was torture, both financially but also for kids. But my mum buying her first home was the best thing that ever happened to us as a family, and she only managed to do it because she got a $7,000 first homeowner grant and a $71,000 loan. So the house costs like, what, um, $78,000? But that created a foundation. So, like, that's important, but you need to have money in retirement. Now, yes, if you own a house or you're not paying a mortgage or you're not paying rent, then the age pension is adequate. It's not a heap of money, but it's enough money that you don't live in poverty and you can actually enjoy your retirement if you don't have other savings. So to a degree, there is an argument to be made there that if you encourage home ownership, then you do reduce stress or future demand on the pension that might be there when the rate just simply isn't enough. And historically, we've had really high rates um, of home ownership in, in, among retirees, but that is falling and it's falling fast. And, you know, if you you kind of drain the bath, as Paul Keating said, with those super accounts in your 20s or in your early 30s, that is going to make a huge difference to what you ultimately have left over by the time you reach, you know, 67 um, and a half or whatever the age is now that they're that you retire at. So uh, the issue now is equity and fairness. And I don't think that Tim Wilson's superannuation policy, even though it sounds great as a headline, I don't think it comes with any further detail about the implications, the consequences, or what might otherwise be done in a much more efficient way to make sure that young people can get the stability of a first home. Okay, so Rick, if this plan that Tim Wilson is proposing, if it does go ahead, does it mean that we will no longer have a superannuation system in Australia, at least in the way it was traditionally conceived? Well, it doesn't mean the end of super, but it means the end of super as we know it. I guess the fundamental thing that holds super together is preservation. You preserve it, you keep it there. And once you start fiddling with those parameters, then technically anything is possible. And I guess, you know, it's not quite the Overton window, but if you shift what's acceptable in a debate about super, then you shift what's possible. And, and I think that's what Tim Wilson knows very well, and he understands that as a, you know, a campaigner. And, and that's, you know, that's what's happening right now. Rick, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Ruby. I always love talking about super. <laughs> Me too. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. 
simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today, the Victorian government has confirmed that all three hotel quarantine workers who contracted COVID-19 in recent days acquired the more contagious UK variant of the virus. A new policy of testing all staff regularly, including on their days off, will now be implemented. And in the US, the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump will begin this week with the Senate voting to confirm the rules of debate. Democrats and Republicans announced a deal yesterday which gives lawyers on each side up to 16 hours each to present their cases. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.